Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets lose their fourth straight at the hands of the Pelicans in blowout fashion and have lost just two out of their last 10 games on the winning side of things. We break down what this looks like. How far has the floor fallen out for this team? And does it start to bring up the questions about whether or not Jock Vaughn's job should, in fact, be in jeopardy? You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, for better or worse, every single day. Over there, you'll find Doug Norrie. I am Adam Armbrecht. We thank you, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. We are free on all those great platforms. And let you know, today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. And, Doug, this was a 112 85 Blowout loss for the Brooklyn Nets on the road in New Orleans, but they did stave off setting the single season record for lowest point total in a game this year. Other than that, man, there is a lot to dive in here. And yeah. It really is pretty bleak from a net standpoint. Yeah, this is bad, man. We were we talked about it. Um, you know, I talked about it over the last couple episodes after the OKC game, kind of starting to see some of the writing on the wall here. Two and nine over their last eleven. Those only the the only two wins there were sort of like must win games against a Pistons team that was on a historically bad run. So I'm not even sure we can totally count them. I, they, they all count, but I mean that one. You do have to wonder what the situation would have been had those not been sort of like national games, and now. You know, talking about I talked last time about how things could turn around and you know possibilities of ways that things could kind of like maybe recenter themselves here. This game went I, I can't even say it went the opposite. It went the this is the worst possible outcome. This yes. game against the Pelicans is as bad as I've ever seen the team play since we started podcasting, and I'm including games where they completely punted because at least those other guys tried. This game was as bad as you've ever seen, like a basically healthy full NBA team that like has playoff aspirations or whatever, yeah. go out and take a court in the middle of a bad losing streak and a bad run and absolutely and utterly phone it in garbage performance all around. And if this is as bad as it gets, I, I hope it's rock bottom because that means there's a way to start pulling out of this, but these are the kinds of games that you sometimes start to see higher level changes come from. Because it's hard to take anything from this game and point to a positive. It's not like this was a one-off where, hey, we were a little, you know, came out a little low tonight. This was a game where they are on a losing streak, have been super bad over many weeks now. And the Pelicans are the ones that look like the team that had everything to play for. Desperate, and all desperate the energy. team, right? I mean, even the energy level was totally different. This team, we might be heading into a territory here of high-level changes. Um, and it, and it's hard to just take anything else away from this game. It was that bad of a loss. We're going to backtrack into this game specifically and talk about the things that you saw basically from the tip-off that let you know this game was going in a very bad direction very quickly. But you mentioned it. You know, when 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 games like this happen, and quite frankly, when stretches like this happen, because you illustrated on the last episode all of the things that have been terrible from a stat standpoint for this team across this recent stretch, you don't walk into the locker room and fire players. You do walk into the locker room and fire a head coach. 
And we're never one to advocate that a coach needs to be or should be fired. But you just mentioned, these are all the recipes. These are all the ingredients that go into a high-level change getting made. And we've already seen Josiah. I mean, frankly, I don't know how high up you could go with this. But we've already seen Josiah have an extensive loyalty to, to uh, Sean Marks. So you know that if those internal conversations happen, you're going to look to a head coach that has been with this organization for seven seasons on the staff, like has been, they've been loyal to him as well, but it is really hard to disconnect the idea of performance on the court and motivation, even on the base level from the head coach. And just at some point you do feel like a team starts to tune a coach out and that we may have reached that place with Jock Vaughn now. It's hard to not look at this game and think that, right? Again, when you add in all the other contexts, they've had yes. bad games. They've had bad games along this run. They've lost by double digits along this run. Like there's, this is, this, the losing part is not new. It's the how you lose piece that is starting to become very concerning. They've been, if you back out the Detroit games, like I said, they've lost by an average of 60, almost 16 points a game during that stretch. Mm -hmm. Average loss of 16 points a game. <laughs> like when you, I mean, that's, they're getting blown out. They're not just losing, they're getting crushed by uh, basically kind of every night now. And to go out and have this performance here where nothing works, the energy level super low. It looks like they never got off the bench, really. You you know, you say you can't fire the players, and that's true because, you know, everyone's under contract. At some point, you have to make some kind of change that's going to signal, hey, you know, we understand that things are not going correctly here. Right. Vaughn has had – and I, I've, I've mostly like advocated for Vaughn over the time. I think he's like a pr really thoughtful guy. I think that, like, he's – I. I Early in the season, we thought the players like were playing very hard for him. There was like, you know, obviously effort stuff. I think over the short term, there's been some curious quotes by him and moves that have been head scratchers. And yeah. even for me, who has, like I said, is like kind of, I, I just don't like to see people fired. I saw so maybe if you, if you, if you're into that, you came to the wrong place, but um, the, there's been some curious quotes even, right? Some curious moves. The move to set out the, the players against the Bucs. I know that's an organizational decision too. It's not on him. That was a really weird move at the time. It's completely backfired. He had a quote earlier this week that said, basically like, you know, talking about him as a coach and how the team had no all-stars. It's just like a weird thing to say because <laughs> they haven't even yeah, picked the all-star. Referring to talking to his players like when he tells his kids something. He about referred what to the to kids as kids. Each one of the again, each one of these things is not necessarily problematic until you kind of take them holistically and look at it. There's just been some there's weird stuff going on here. And again, each one of those quotes in a vacuum, whatever, move on, pile them all together. And it starts to paint a, a not so amazing picture here. He also had a moment, he said pregame, where he talked about sort of the reason they weren't playing defensively. And it was kind of saying it was because the players wanted to play different defenses. Like it was, a, he hinted at this. It, there's, writing on the wall here that this thing has gone completely sideways and this game seemed to exemplify it. And it seems to be too, just to kind of drill down on the point of this before we get into this game specifically, and then talk about a much higher level discussion. How bad can a team look to ultimately maybe influence the way the organization thinks about decisions as we look forward to that trade deadline? Jock Vaughn as well, remember, you know, and it never really came to fruition here, but coming into the season, the idea was, is we're going to be a gritty team. We're going to grind teams down. Defense is going to be a key cornerstone. You mentioned maybe players just aren't fully capable or willing to buy into whatever system that he's setting forward. But if you have that identity that you've established for your team and the product on the court tells you that it is not meeting that standard, 
at some point, Jock Vaughn also has to look at it and say, I'm sitting down all my veterans, maybe to send the message, right? And to, I'm going to play all these young guys. They're going to hustle for every minute that they get. But there's also been a struggle there for him from a coaching perspective and a willingness to go to the young players, to develop the young talent. You sit everybody down the other day as rest. Maybe that was an attempt to send some type of message. It obviously did not get home. Coming up here in a second, we're going to go inside this game specifically. What were the things that we saw from the jump that told us it was going to go bad in a hurry? And what were the adjustments that Jock Vaughn, again, failed to make inside of this game to maybe write a different script? We'll get into that in just one second. All right, before we get to that, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. I'll cheer myself up here a little bit, talking about our friends at FanDuel. NFL season is wrapping up. Still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook right now. New customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app and FanDuel is just so easy, too. They got the live same-game parlays and just all the uh, just the regular same-game parlays as well. You pile all that stuff together. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. That's where you can find the real popular stuff that other people are putting in. So much more player props over, unders, lines. It's all there for you on FanDuel. And grab those $150 uh, bucks in bonus bets, too, win or lose. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, so as we continue the post-game coverage of the Brooklyn Nets falling to the Pelicans, as we know, 112.85, a blowout loss from wire to wire. Before we talk inside of this game, though, one more quote here you have, Doug, from Jock Vaughn that really, I'm assuming, further illustrates that that things are going the wrong way inside this building right now. Well, this is just part of his post game, but um, this is some, one thing he said. Uh, this is quoting Vaughn after the game tonight against the Pels. The will to get it done and the will to do your part and get outside of yourself. Uh, if you're really desperate about winning, then you dive on the floor. You'll do it all. You'll get cuts and bruises and you go home sore. We're not there yet. <laughs> like, okay, again, I'm not one to pick apart these quotes usually because um, I just think it's mostly silly. Like these guys are have to go up and say something. And you, and if you were asked to go in front of a microphone, like we are every day, like you're going to eventually say something wrong. There's just, there's just no way around it. Right. Like you just can't, you can't say it all right. It's just, especially Messed up the intro grab the these, it happens, <laughs> especially <laughs> when you grab these guys in their lowest moments, which I'm sure this is, it is this thing though, with this follows. And I actually saw this quote as I was just going through the other quotes from before that already are on record from earlier in the week after, you know, multiple games. This is another one of those games where it's just like, when you say we're not there yet and we're not doing these things, like, Hey, you're the coach. <laughs> like you're, you're the coach. Like, this is kind of the job. I, like, I'm sorry. It's it's maybe the whole job, especially when it's an NBA, when it's an NBA situation. If you're not there yet, it, it can only actually end up falling one place. If that's your reasoning, which he already just said himself that it is. So I, these are very curious things. And I just wonder if we're, again, like just to reiterate the part where we're starting to see maybe the writing on the wall here. And the Nets also have not been teams that have wanted to make these uncomfortable decisions at times. So I, that's, the, that's what makes me feel like it's maybe not going to happen. And it's a bit of a disconnect, too, just also on that of the way that we're hearing Jock Vaughn talk now, but then the way that he's referred to his veterans, right? When when asked questions about late game sequences, why did you have Cam Thomas out or why did you go with player X and Y? Typically, it's been, you know, well, I just rely on Dorian Finney-Smith there. I trust his veteran experience. Spencer Dinwiddie with the ball in his hand, Mikhail Bridges, whoever it may be, right? So it feels like a breaking point has maybe happened here publicly for Jock Vaughn where behind closed doors, maybe he was expressing it differently to the team, right? Maybe the messaging was different. But all the way up until this recent run, it's primarily been, I believe and trust these players. 
Now, all of a sudden, it's turning to, well, we haven't done these things yet. And to your point, well, if not by now, then when? When when at some point does the sample size just become who you are, right? This is the type of team you are. And this recent stretch of the last 12, 13 games has really been a sample size that's been pretty alarming. Specifically, when we look just inside this Pelicans game here, not, to, not that we need to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I said it now multiple times. From tip-off, effectively... The Nets struggled on switches. They struggled on rotations. They struggled on closing out perimeter shooters. Like that, that's just defensively specific because I feel like it's been easy to get away from the fact that the defense was supposed to be a part of this team's core identity. They did not defend anyone in this game. And there were multiple situations where Spencer Dinwiddie was defending a backing down Zion Williamson in the, in the, in the paint. And it's just, it's, it's inexcusable. So if you want to say it's execution and they're not following what the coach wants, that's one thing, but something has to look different here. And that was just, that was in the first 30 seconds of this game. Yeah. So this is the other really troubling part for a team is when, cause like sometimes defense defense is about effort, right? Like it's, it's a lot of scheme for sure. And the scheme has like, I'm not, the scheme hasn't seemed to totally show up this year, but it's also an effort thing, right? Like getting into passing lanes, just never losing a guy, right. Being head on a swivel the entire time just making sure that you're always, you know, digging and recovering or whatever it's going to be stunting, getting back, like all the stuff that goes in to, into defensive connectivity. I, like to say it wasn't there is like you said, beginning, it was all not there. There was none of it. The, you know, they get, you know, the Dinwiddie on Zion thing. That was some of that was cross matching. Cause again, yeah. the other problem is the Nets can't make any shots. So when you can't make shots, you can't set your defense. So they get stuck into mini trans, even mini transitions sometimes where they get cross matched to death. That's been a big problem for them. But then even when they were able to set their defense a few times, they, this, and this is early on, this basically set the tone for the whole game early on. They get caught three times in trying to bring doubles to the ball, either by confusion or design like it was two of them were designed and one was confusion and they led the three completely wide open rhythm three-pointers and you were like it's over <laughs> right yeah right. Were, right right basically from basically night but kind of and it was and and those defensive possessions and the reason i know that is because during the break i actually went back on on the app and re-watched the first four possessions just to make sure it wasn't just like bad luck or like good closeouts it didn't look like it at the time but just making sure that my eyes were telling me and it, and it was actually even worse than I thought. And when that's going to be the case where this def defense has been a major, major issue, you supposedly have the personnel to not to be an above average defense. And you're letting these like just super easy baskets. Cause I, I, I sometimes don't judge the late game defense. Like when you're down 30, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, like, I don't think we're going to do a, a big, a lot of big takeaways from the defense down 30. But when it's just tipped and you're running into these major problems of scheme and effort kind of all at once, that is a major problem. And those are the ones, those are the possessions that count a little more because those are the things you draw it up. You're still the, you know, the game plan still fresh in your mind and it's still all going wrong to have it just come out and just have it be worse than worse than imaginable is just so, so, so problematic and, and and actually very difficult to see your way out of. Like, if you're a fan, if you're a team, it's, it's difficult to start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel because it's when it's mistakes in scheme and effort and just, like, like tactics, that's just the triumvirate. Like, you can't overcome all three. It's hard to over, just overcome one. And even on the defensive end, too, there was another sequence there. Because uh, the other side of this is on the offensive end, it, it's a bad night for a lot of guys, right? I, you know, we, we can 
highlight the fact that you're talking about Mikhail Bridges going four of 11. It's a really rough night. Uh, excuse me. Thomas doesn't start, but comes in and goes, Oh, for 11. He cannot find his shot or find his rhythm, which probably, by the way, to go back to the top can start to bring scrutiny around the decisions that you're making with your lineup and who's well, starting. Yeah, but you know, the, the flip side of that is Dinwiddie was over six. So it's like, I know these guys always get, these guys always get piled together and who should start great news. They both stunk. Like they <laughs> great news. Either way you slice it, it was going to be bad. Yeah, they were so, they yeah, were over over nineteen together. Oh no, yeah, sorry, over seventeen together. So whatever, it didn't matter who played. No, and that's and that's why you know offensively, you know, ball doesn't go in. Sometimes it's as easy as that in games like this when you start to look at the box score. But on the defensive end again, there was also a sequence early in this game where I, I believe it's Valanciunas that's setting the screen up near the top of the key, and the action is being run for Ingram to basically run a little curl action around the screen being set. And it's for Mikhail Bridges to fight over top of that screen and make sure that he picks up Ingram. But what ends up happening, and, I, and I, it illustrates, I think, the lack of communication and reaction time. And this one falls on Claxton. It could have fallen on anybody. But as Mikhail Bridges goes to fight over top of that screen, all Ingram has to do is stop the curl action, step right back out beyond the arc, and wait for the pass. And it's a wide open three. Now, Claxton can try to get over there to cover that, but he doesn't. And that's one example in the first five minutes of this game that happened time and time again. And it was one of those things, I think, sometimes two in games like this, when you when you see that it or when it feels like it's going to go the wrong way in a hurry, you actually get to watch a lot more stuff that's happening off of the ball. And that, you know, you and I talk about this off the podcast, I think even more than we do on of, right, watch what everyone else is doing away from the basketball to really learn something. When we go to the offensive side, I can tell you the same story again, because when Spencer Dinwiddie is on the ball, when Mikhail Bridges is on the ball, look away from it. And you see four other guys primarily standing around. Like, I just don't see the off-ball action that you need to have, especially when you're not a team that has the ability to create on-ball in ISO situations because you don't have the type of players to do so. That being the case, coming up here in a second, we'll maybe give you one or two more tidbits out of this game, but then really talk about, even beyond Jacques Vaughn, are we at the point of the season where the organization has to start to think about the trade deadline and high-level decisions in a much different way? We'll get into that coming up next. All right, before we get to that, I'll tell you about our friends over at game time. Look, you're going to the, the, the game. You're going to the concert. You're going to the play. You're going to the comedy event. You want the ticket buying experience to be easy. You want to make sure that you're getting the very best price out there. You want to take all the frustration out, keep all the fun in that is where the game time app comes in. They got last minute tickets. They got flash deals. They got zone deals. You can easy. It's super easy to find and buy tickets for every single kind of event in your area. You're going to be able to see exactly what you're going to see when you sit down in the venue, all there in the app. They have the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection. It's all there for you on Game Time. Uh, game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. Right now on Game Time, I know you probably doesn't, from the sound of it, it's not going to make you want to do this. There are Nets tickets on sale over there on Game Time. Okay, see, see your boy SGA get in there starting at $55 this Friday, uh, January 5th. Also, Blazers at Nets starting at $26. All there for you on Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code Locked On for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Create an account, redeem the code Locked On for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right. So as with Talia Bo on the post game podcast, the Brooklyn Nets one twelve to eighty five on the road, losing to the Pelicans. Obviously. Not the ideal outcome. Obviously, the culmination of what has been a lot of frustration. You don't have to go too far. You know, fan, the fan base was already getting a little edgy. 
But the interesting thing to me, Doug, coming out of this game is, yes, maybe this is at the point where a change needs to be made, and it could end up being the coach that is always the first to go. But the other conversations heading towards the trade deadline is, is Donovan Mitchell going to be available? Should the Brooklyn Nets go all in to get him? Because that can, you know, turn this thing around. You add him with Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson and these other players. Okay. I think that this stretch of games and culminating with this loss to the Pelicans, I think it takes all those types of thoughts off the table. Like, and I know that this is a, I, this isn't a one game reaction in reality. No, no. But, you know, all of these in, in succession and looking at the net ratings and looking at the dysfunction inside of the rotations, not being able to fight in the right combinations. I don't see how the organization can't be having a bit of a wake-up call here that suggests we need to be sellers and maybe sellers on, on more players than we would have initially been willing to even think about because we are far further from being a competitive, play-in kind of team, pushing into the eighth seedish kind of range. This team is trending towards missing out on the play-in tournament with the type of performances we've seen. Yeah, I'm worried it goes. I this is this is there's gonna be a crisis of conscience here. I, I'm actually not sure which direction they should go. I it seems to me I agree with you that they're more than just like one Donovan Mitchell, more than one Donovan Mitchell like move away, right? Like that would th this game would these this stretch would suggest that this is not a team that's like one piece away from getting over like some major hump into like super winning, consistent basketball, right? right consistent. Right. I'm not saying they wouldn't have a good, a decent team on a night to night basis, but like would that move them based on what they would have to give up to like make any kind of move at this point combined with like just where their roster is now. Yeah. I, I'm not sure we've seen any evidence over the short term here that suggests that they're anything close. The problem, and this is a big problem is that that, might not be where their motivations are. Their motivations right. might be get people in the Barclays, get the ratings up a little bit here, be a, be better. Yeah. And if the future has to take another hit to make that happen, then that's okay because the bottom line is the bottom line now. I'm very worried from a long-term analysis standpoint that they are not going to see this as a you know fire sale kind of time. And I, I'm actually, I, I, there's versions of a fire sale I'm not, even in, aligned with either sure but, like i i just don't know if that's going to be the thought process here i think that i think the thought process is going to go the other way and, and i you know it's funny you mentioned that too because guess what uh money really drives a lot of decisions around I these think? types of things right <laughs> it, it was it's probably one of the reasons why there was a struggle when it came to no one probably it definitely was a reason why they dragged their feet as long as they could on trading kevin durant because they know what it means to be having kevin durant on your court for 41 games a year at your home arena. But what I, and I, I'll say for you and me, probably, hopefully, and again, I, I don't, we don't advocate for anyone to be fired. We don't advocate for guys to be traded. And we've always said this about guys like Dorian Finney Smith, even like Royce O'Neill. We talk about trading them because they're good players and they have really good value for other teams. I actually think that maybe this run of games pushes the needle on those types of decisions, right? Are we going to hold on to Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neal or both beyond the deadline because we're a competitive team, because we want to go back to the playoffs? Well, a run like this can open your eyes up and say, listen, we may want to do that, but functionally, having Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal isn't going to change the margins on how many people come to Barclays Center. You might be able to make the case Jalen Wilson playing 
and maybe some Noah Clowney minutes, right? And, and Derek Whitehead, that'll actually move the needle a little bit more in those cases. The other high level guy is probably Nicholas Claxton, right? Because you have that contract discussion looming in the off season. Those three players to me, and there's even a couple other ones you could throw in like a Lonnie Walker. If he gets back healthy and on the court, maybe even a Dennis Smith jr. Like there, there are certain players here that I think you should be inspired to discuss at a little, with a little more conviction than you would have been 10, 15 games ago. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I'm just, I totally agree with you. Um, but I'm just worried that like, they're just going to see this as a different thing. I think logically that makes sense. Like, I think we've been saying this for a while is that this team is not close. The long-term goal has to be winning at the highest levels. I'm for floor raising just to be interesting for years. Like I get that point, but the concern, like I said, we said at the beginning here is that the concern is when you see a game like this and you see a, you see a game like this against the Pelicans and you see a stretch like this, like they've been on over the last nine that against like kind of the better teams, right? Like maybe they did some bottom feeding a little bit earlier in the season. I thought they played hard. A lot of the games, but if like the life is going out of the team a little bit and they're just getting kind of just smoked on a nightly basis by the actual good teams in the NBA, like I just wonder, like I just wonder how much work could even be done to make a trade. So I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm, I think it's very clear, but I just don't like, there's no way the organization sees it the same way. They've yeah. signaled never, they've never signaled that that's like what they want to do. Uh, but like go back to last year, when they could have traded guys to the deadline and gotten probably more value from them. They're like, no, we're making the playoffs. Right. Right. Okay. And I'm almost, I'm speaking from the side of you and I were two individuals that said they should have already traded Dorian Finney Smith should have already traded Royce O'Neal. So this, this feels like it crystallizes it for, for you and I, I yeah, of course. but to follow organizational logic. Well, if it, we didn't think it then, why would this necessarily shift our mentality? I just don't, I think it's going to shift it the other way. I, I, I'm worried it's going to shift it the other way that they're going to, and they're going to say, what are we missing? What are we missing to really make all these pieces fit together better as opposed to maybe we don't have nearly what we thought we did? Yeah, it's like, oh, the Bulls are, pl- I'm, not, I'm not thinking they're going to do this, but like, oh, the Bulls are playing better without Zach Levine. We'll take him in the, if we can get rid of the Simmons contract, right? Or something like that. I don't think that's okay. like going to happen, right. but these are the kind of moves that would be really, really suspect. But you might think, oh, it, you know, put some more butts in the seats and it can get us out of the malaise that we're in or whatever, because other than doing that, it's like so hard to see. And I'm not sure this, this, this organization from the owner to the GM and, you know, the coach, whoever it's going to end up being, I'm not sure they have like the appetite to embrace the discomfort that comes with the move, like getting worse before you get better. Like that's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to get worse and have to explain it to ticket holders and explain it to season ticket holders and worry about your ratings and, and and look at your team being worse. It's why teams wait too long often. They often wait way too long to do this because it's so uncomfortable. It's easy for us in, in the podcast world and fans out there to talk about how easy it would seem. It's a lot harder when you're sitting in the seat that has to answer all the questions about why the team sucks for multiple years. And so I do, I do, I, I, it's an unenviable position, but I don't think this team is built to do something really uncomfortable. And I just don't think they are. And because, oh, by the way, and this will be my, my last thought as we close out the podcast, and then we'll stick around here, obviously, with everybody who came on the live, which, by the way, they do say misery loves company. And by the looks of it, it in fact does. But the other thing being here that when we talk about these decisions, and again, we're, we don't, we're not advocating for any of the negative outcomes here, but 
if you are a segment of the fan base that thought they should have moved on from all these players, they should have done this, they should be going all youth, they should have done that to start the season, they should have traded Mikhail Bridges, all these players, the second that they got them in the door. The other side of this thing is, if you're the organization, you know how this goes. So you make the tough decisions, right? And you move on from big name players. Well, guess what? When all the young guys are struggling and it's about, well, we're developing the youth and the future is going to be bright. Fans don't love watching the Detroit Pistons right now either. You know, like it, it's not like the fan base it, it just automatically galvanizes behind. All right, we're pulling in the right direction. That shine wears off even faster than when you feel like you get back great packages for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That lasted you what? Half a season, effectively. That's how long that 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 good nature lasted among the fan base, and understandably to a certain extent. But here we are. So you know, it may feel bleak now. But the other side of this could be even bleaker. So I, I know that's a little bit out of both sides of my mouth here, but I've been through it watching the Brooklyn Nets, watching the New Jersey Nets. When teams are bad, it is bad. And that's a little bit of what this game felt like. Really bottom of the NBA kind of bad. And that isn't something I thought we would see from these players this year. Yeah, look, we waited for a while to say, is this like rock bottom during a thing? We actually never, never said things like this. I, like th This is the first time we've been doing this podcast for years and years and years now. This is the first kind of tenor we've had around this because unlike other swoons that they've had in the past, you know, losing streaks, it was like, oh, they're losing right now, but Kevin Durant's back in two weeks. Right. Right. Like, you know, oh, they're losing now. But, you know, Kyrie's going to be back here. Like there's, oh, you know, it's, it's looking weird now. They just brought in James Harden. Like there's been things that the team could do to like sort of like get over like a major hump. That's much harder to see now. Yep. In this situation, it's a lot harder to see. So we'll chop it up here in YouTube live. We've got a ton of people. Really appreciate everyone here that's, uh, that's come to lament what's happening here with the Brooklyn Nets season. Make sure that you are subscribed on YouTube if you haven't done that yet. We're pushing towards 7,000 subscribers, so let's get there, folks. Make sure you also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions to hold the line on spending. Evan, bye. Oh, one of the all-time great posts. We'll be back tomorrow and in a moment on YouTube talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Every day.